있고요. So I have no printer. Using a computer, which is scary for me. If it blacks out and I can't get it back on, we may be here a long time because once I go off script, there's no telling where I end up at. But um, Jonathan mentioned this is Reformation Sunday. It's the Sunday that many around the world will celebrate. They set aside to celebrate uh, our roots back to the her our heritage back to uh, the Reformation. Uh, back several years ago, celebrated the 500th year since the Reformation. And um, going back to 1517, when uh, it was in October that the uh, monk Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And that sort of marked off as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And I, we sort of talked about this a little bit last week, and I know you've been getting a lot of church history in the last month or so, but um, I hope one day, you'll, if you're not already, you probably are, but I hope that you'll be thankful to be the church that we at least try to uh, bring that up so it's not foreign to you because I grew up in church, uh, Baptist church my entire life. I never, I didn't hear about the Reformation until I got to seminary. Well, we studied a little bit in college, but I didn't really understand the ramifications of it until I was 20-something years old and uh, understood that, man, the Reformation is important. <laughs> I wish somebody would have told me about it. Uh, the reason I, I'm Protestant. And um, so I'm excited to always celebrate Reformation Sunday. And I know last week I started talking about the Reformation solas, which is something we got from the Reformation. And I am going to hit the second one of those today, which is sola, meaning alone, fide, uh, the, the Latin for justification, which is awesome. We talked about justification in Sunday school this morning. We've read about it, and we're going to talk about that. So I'm going to sort of highlight for you a, a historical rundown real quick of the Reformation, and then I'll get to Sola Fide, uh, try to do two of those, to, uh, that one today, so sort of a two-in-one. But all of us Protestants, um, oh, let me mention this. There's a book, if, if you're interested, a great book um, that's... Um, I've got it here so I can tell you. It's called The Unquenchable Flame by Michael Reeves. Less than 200 pages. If you want to really read and get a great synopsis of everything that took place from 100 years prior to the Reformation up past the Reformation, if you're interested in reading, look that up. I have it. I'm just not sure if it's in my library or if it's at my house. It's called The Unquenchable Flame. It's a great read. It's real interesting. Um, very well written. Anyways, all of us, Baptists, if you grew up in the Methodist church, uh, most any church that's not uh, Catholic, um, you owe your roots to the Reformation. Martin Luther, the monk that I just mentioned, was protesting the corruption of the church in her teaching on salvation especially. At that time, there was only one church called the Holy Catholic Church. And they had developed teachings that we've already spoken about, contrary to, in addition to, the Holy Scriptures. The church was convincing people, for instance, that repentance wasn't even necessary. In fact, rather than worrying about repenting, you could just sort of buy your way through indulgences, something called indulgences. 
those indulgences and those payments would compensate for your sin. And you could basically not only buy your way into heaven, but you could buy your way out of something else the church had invented, which is called purgatory. And you could even buy people that had already died and gone to purgatory out of purgatory. So it was a great, as you can imagine, a great way to make money. Because anybody that felt kind of bad about their loved ones who had died and was were rascals and knew where they were, would be glad to give a little money to feel better about helping them along the eternal path there. Now, of course, uh, we don't believe in purgatory. Uh, the Bible is very clear. It is appointed a man wants to die in judgment. There's no in-between. And so we don't buy that. And thanks in part to the Reformation. But the church, of course, built elaborate buildings during this time period through this indulgences, through this money they were making. Um, and also the coffers of the church were built up. So the church became very wealthy and therefore had a lot of power. But Luther, who was just a pastor at the time, had some of his people come back to him from uh, Rome and say, oh, you know what? We don't need to repent anymore because we had bought indulgences. This very much angered this pastor causing him to eventually post his 95 Theses against the church, which was basically a way of scholarly debate. In that day, you could post these things to the church doors, and it would in, should have incited some sort of debate. But the Pope and the church at large didn't want to debate him. They took very much offense at his statements. Because they weren't, if, if you go back and read them, they were very pointed. And they were very much, hey, this is not true. This is not true. I don't agree with this. This is not biblical. And because of the very rapid spread of Luther's works, thanks to the printing press, it really angered the church. Because it wasn't just a few people. It wasn't just this one set of doors they had nailed this uh, statements to. The Gutenberg Press, which you may have heard of, which had been... Um, invented almost 70 years earlier in Germany caused Luther's writings to begin to be spread very broadly. Um, and by the 1480s, in fact, there were printing shops popping up all over Europe. So books could be rapidly, now we wouldn't think rapid, like, uh, you know, we're disappointed our printer's not here today. It's not that kind of rapid. But it was more rapid than handwriting them, Right? Um, you'll have to look at that sometime if you've never seen how that press worked. Uh, amazing. But it wasn't a fast process, but much faster than handwriting for sure. So, um, in fact, one of the first things that Gutenberg uh, printed was a Latin Bible. Um, even earlier than, than, than this, in the 1300s, there was a man by the name of John Wycliffe who himself was identifying the Bible and not the Pope or the church as the supreme spiritual authority in the life of the people of God. In fact, Wycliffe argued that the Pope um, was only a human. And that actually he was a human invention and not a biblical invention and claimed that the Bible authoritatively determined the validity of all religious beliefs and practices. So he had to retire from being a priest, as you can imagine, but he began writing tracts 
became very popular among preachers. And he even organized uh, the translation of the Latin Vulgate into English, the Latin Bible into English. Now, Wycliffe died in 1384. Just trying to give you some history up to the 1500s. So yeah, Wycliffe, who was already starting these rumblings of the church is corrupt, the Pope is false, uh, people need the Bible. I'm going to translate the Bible. And then you have the printing press come along, the Gutenberg printing press. So all this, of course, we believe that God was just putting into place at the right time to blow this thing up. But Wycliffe died in 1384, just prior to a council, uh, a church council called the Council of Constance, which actually condemned him as a heretic. And they were so angry at him still after he was dead, they dug his bones up and burned them and then scattered them on the ground because they hated what he had done so much. But, as often is the case, they didn't do away with his followers, and they dedicated themselves to the illegal practice of secret Bible readings. So they were still getting together, reading the Bible for themselves. This, by the way, is why I try to point out when we do our uh, persecuted church portion, I always try to point out something about how important the Bible is to these people. You know, the Bible is very important. And it people are reading it. It changes people. So, Wycliffe's teachings reached even Bohemia, which is modern-day Czech Republic, um, carried there by visiting students to Oxford. Um, and the Bohemian rector at the University of Prague at this time's name was Jan Hus. That, that's a man, not, it's pronounced John usually, but Jan Hus. And he was really influenced by this Wycliffe guy. In fact, he began publicly speaking out against the Pope and the indulgences and expressed doubt about the existence of purgatory. And of course, soon he was excommunicated and eventually condemned to death for heresy in 1415. Now that's amazing because you've been hopefully paying attention. We talked about people like Pelagius and Augustine. And those church councils, they met together and people were condemned as heretics based on the scripture, what they taught about scripture. By the 1500s, 1400s even, as we're seeing here, you were condemned as a heretic based on what the Pope and the church thought about you. It had nothing to do with the Bible. In fact, the people who were reading the Bible, printing the Bible and preaching the Bible were now condemned as heretics by the church. So I hope you see that there needed to be some reformation. There was a lot of problems. Some interesting little things here. Um, uh, his teachings, Huss's teachings, really influenced Martin Luther, who we started out talking about, who wouldn't come along until some 100 years later. In fact, Huss reportedly, just as he was dying, uttered these words. You may roast, you may roast the, gut, the, the goose. Huss means goose in his native language. But 100 years from now, there will be a swan who will arise and whose singing you will not be able to silence. And so almost 100 years later, Luther, unleashing his doctrine of the justification by faith, sparking the Reformation, staunchly defended the belief that he was the swan that Huss predicted. In fact, a lot of Luther's followers would, um, would portray him as a swan. And there's actually a statue uh, um, of Huss in Prague where Luther was. And on the base of the statue is engraved, great is the truth and it prevails. Now, all that, I know it was history lesson, and uh, probably some of you don't like history, but I give you all that to show again. 
The church was ripe for reformation. We needed it. And God's storm had been brewing long before Luther. Luther gets credited with it. Some others like Calvin who comes along about this time. But um, God was already doing what God always does. Things people don't even see. Things were bubbling up from the ground uh, before it actually burst forth. Now, I remind you, Luther wanted to debate. He wanted a civil discourse. But rather than debating, the church and the Pope ordered that Luther recant of all that he had ever said and wrote, especially against the church and against the Pope. But his writings contained the word of God because that's basically what his writings were. Here's why I don't agree with this, because of what the Bible said. So he couldn't recant. In fact, he said to the council that was um, hearing his argument, if you can show me how my writings are contrary to the Gospels or contrary to the prophets, then I will be the first to throw them into the fire. But the council had been strictly instructed not to debate him, not to quarrel with him, but just have him simply recant of what he had written. And so we have Luther's famous reply that you may have heard before. They went something like this. Your imperial majesty and your lordships demand a simple answer. And here it is. Plain and unvarnished. Unless I am convinced of error by the testimony of scripture, since I put no trust in the unsupported authority of popes or councils, and since it is plain that they often erred and often contradicted themselves, by manifest reasoning, I stand convinced by the scriptures to which I have appealed. And my conscience is taken captive by God's word. I cannot and I will not recant of anything. For to act against our conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. On this I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. So you can kind of see uh, uh, Luther angered people. He was very straight to the point. But also he was a preacher of the word of truth. And for it Throughout history, nobody has really liked a prophet of God who preaches the truth, especially in that manner. He said, hey, the popes and the church even contradict themselves. Why would I listen to them? So thus it began. Luther, of course, expected his life to be over, but God wasn't finished with him. Um, if, you know, if you know Luther's story, I'm not going to go through much of it, but he was... Originally going to be a lawyer. He was in college in school to be a lawyer. He was walking home. His friend beside him got struck by lightning. He thought he was going to get struck by lightning. So he cried, he cried out to God, if you'll save me and not kill me, I'll do your bidding from now on. So he obviously he didn't get struck by lightning. And so he left law and uh, signed up uh, to the monastery and became a monk. Now, if you know much about monastery, what monks do, they kind of separate themselves from the world. They kind of... Um, dedicate themselves to the study of scripture and uh, to the church. And so Luther was committed to the church and to even the Pope until he continued to read the word of God and discovered that things were not as they should be. Somebody's not telling the truth. And so uh, the biggest thing that bothered him is he kept coming across this passage. And when he first really read this passage, and was awakened by the one I just read to you from Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. And he understood that. What it said. The righteous shall live by faith. And he knew himself not to be righteous. In fact, there's amazing stories about him going to confession booths. Until 
the priest in the confession booth would tell him to go home. Stop confessing. I'm tired of hearing about your sin. Nobody can sin as much as you claim you sin. But he understood this. It, it drove him wild. Only a righteous man lives by his faith. And he knew that he wasn't righteous. And he understood that salvation is not about what he did. Because he had done all the things. He had done the pilgrimages. He had been to Rome. He had climbed up the steps on his belly uh, to make all these penance, uh, penances known to God. He had done all the things and still came home afraid of God. Understanding that no matter what he did and how many times he went to Rome and how many Hail Marys he said, none of this would make him righteous. And it blew his mind. He had denied himself all kind of worldly pleasures. He had left behind all worldly possessions. But he understood the problem was not in his extremities. His problem was deep inside himself. And he couldn't reach there. And he didn't know how to fix it. And the truth is, that's what we all have to do. We have to understand at some point, there is no way I can fix myself. My need is bigger than my human capabilities. If I'm going to be changed and saved, if God is going to take me with him, then God has to do something about my condition because I can't. And so we come to this passage, Romans 1, that says this. Here's the righteousness of God revealed for us from faith to faith, beginning with faith, ending with faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I love the way that our, our confession describes that. That faith is a gift of God. He doesn't infuse faith in you. He counts the righteousness of Christ to you through faith. So that even your faith you can't brag about. And you can't muster that up. But God gives it. So that the righteous shall live by faith. Literally the one who is. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And that's what Luther understood. Man, this is saying the only way I can live is be made righteous or to be counted righteous by faith. Do we know what we mean when we say the word gospel? What do we mean? We kind of talk about this in Sunday school. What, what is the gospel? Well, obviously it comes from a word that is translated, uh, we translate it into evangelist. Evangelism, and it's where we get our word evangelical, gospel. So essentially, the good news of the gospel is what we are to not only preach, but to live by, and it is essentially what was restored in the Reformation. Because that's what the church and the Pope had, had jacked up, was the gospel. You can't change how men come to God. But that's exactly what they were trying to do. They were convincing people there's different ways to get to God than the way God has provided through the gospel. This is what the Reformation did for us. It restored the gospel. It restored a gospel-centered church. We as a Reformed church, we believe the entire Bible is the gospel. Of course, there's the very meat of the gospel, what the apostles would have referred to as the kerygma, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
But everything that God is and all he's ever done is the, God, it is the good news of who God is. So when we proclaim the gospel, this is the central part of it. But what we do is always preach who God is and the attributes of God so that you understand the gospel is about God and not about us. God is the gospel. The entire revelation. It all matters. All 66 books, the scriptures are the authority of God. It's the revelation of God. The power of God and the salvation. This is the crux of what Martin Luther understood and why we have to understand it if any of us are to be saved. And that is that salvation is of the Lord. The gospel is not a guide to self-help. It's not our personal tool for coping with life. It's not our means to attaining wealth. The gospel is the power of God. Until we get to a place that Martin Luther got to, to recognize our depravity, and even recognize you can't repent on your own, you can't repent enough, you can't do good enough to outweigh the bad, you can't balance the scales, as the Bible says, spiritually speaking, we're dead in our sin and trespass. How are we going to make ourselves not dead? How do we enliven ourselves? We can't. We can't wake up. We can't do anything. We can't pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. Spiritually, we are dead. We don't need a new way of doing things. We don't need to turn over a new leaf. We don't need new jobs, new careers, none of those things to bring us to God. God is the only life-giving source. He alone is creator. Only he can make new life. And those of you who have been saved, you know that to be true. You know that. I mean, God saved me or I wouldn't be saved. Because I didn't want to be saved. Um, I didn't mind. Some of us didn't mind the idea of God in heaven. That sounds nice. But you can't bring to life your dead soul. But God does that. <laughs> Popes can't do it. Luther understood that. Indulgences can't do it. Only the power of God can do it. And the power of God and salvation is to everyone who believes. But you have to believe. That's what the Bible is so clear about. Why did God send Jesus for believers? He so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish. Every whosoever in the Bible was followed, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, with whosoever Please. It's not just whosoever in the story. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Galatians 3.22 I think it was uh, R.C. Sproul I heard say that one time. What does John 3.16 say? That God gave Jesus for believers. That's what he came for. That whosoever believes in him. It is the righteous that live by faith. And that's what Luther understood. Only the righteous. It begins and ends with our faith. Our problem is that we don't come here believing these things. And Jesus said if you don't believe you're condemned already. And so we need this gift of God. To be imputed to us through faith. Which is an amazing leap of faith. Uh, uh, faith is a leap of faith. The things that we believe in are unbelievable. 
to those who don't have faith. Luther said this, in fact, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. But so much so, so sure and certain that a man can stake his life on it a thousand times. You ever think about how amazing faith is? You ever think about the things that you believe by faith? And it just caused you to say, if I didn't have faith, this would be so crazy. How would I believe in a man 2,000 years ago that was dead and buried in a tomb, but three days later arose from the dead and then ascended to heaven? And somehow all of that satisfied God and his righteousness his righteousness, and that was given to me so that I might be saved. I mean, the whole thing, faith is an amazing gift. So why do we make a deal about the Reformation? Because again, we're a Reformed church. We hold to the teachings that came out of the Reformation. And out of the Reformation came these teachings that we've been talking about Started last week, the solace, these these things that stand alone by themselves, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. We've already really sort of talked about this, but I'll just kind of bring this thing to a close, looking specifically at this idea of justification. Sola fide, we are justified by, by grace through faith alone. In Christ alone. Last week we talked about the scriptures. So the scripture the scripture alone. That was the formal principle of. Reformation theology. In other words the scriptures. Determine the parameters. The reformation was. The reformation or the reformers decided. Uh, we're going to base what we do and teach. On the scriptures alone. But then Justification was what's called the material principle. In other words, it determined its substance. So the reformers said the Bible is our parameter, but justification is our substance. We're going to teach the true understanding of, this, of justification. Now, they didn't get together, of course, and determine this. This is just the way God orchestrated it. Because justification was the problem. The church had muddied the water so much, men didn't know how to be, they were to be justified. How can a man be justified? Because for 1,200 years or 1,000 years, the church had taught one thing, but it was steadily declining if you go back to the history. And now suddenly they're teaching a different way to be justified before God. You can buy your way into heaven. So the material issue, if you will, the core theological matter over which the church and the Pope and the Reformers disagreed was that of justification. And this, by the way, is why, you know, many on the Catholic side of the fence are trying to say, that was old, that's over, there is no more Reformation, that's done. We're all the same, we're back together, you know, there's just really one faith. But I'm telling you, this idea, this doctrine of justification still separates us still separates us because salvation by grace through faith alone is the Bible call faith grace through faith plus nothing our works don't count toward this it still separates us 
Calvin described the doctrine of justification by faith alone as the principal hinge by which religion is supported. And Luther described it as the article by which the church stands or falls. I mean, for them, if the church gets this wrong, we might as well disband and be done. Because then people can go to God any way they want to. Apparently God, you know, it, it would be proper for the people even in our day and time who said something like, oh, there's many ways to get to God. You know, it just depends on which one you choose. They're all leading to the same place. Well, the reformers were burned at the stake saying that is not true. It cannot be true. If that be true, then there's nothing true. You know, that, that kind of thinking. Well, if every way to God's right, then really no way it can be right. And so they stake their lives on it. Luther correctly saw that if sinners are to be justified by faith alone and Christ alone, then the whole system of salvation rooted in priest-operated, church-based religious works would collapse. And a Christ-centered, faith-based Christianity would arise. And that's just what happened. Because we are neither justified by righteousness of the law or by our own righteousness, but only by faith in Christ. So not only was sola fide, justification alone, central to the Reformation and its success, but it still addresses the fundamental question that each of us must answer. Because life is short and eternity is long. And one day we will stand before God. And we will encounter Him. That meeting will take place. And we still have to answer this basic question. How can I be made right in the eyes of God? Or to give it a biblical ring, as they said in the Bible, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and shall be saved. That hasn't changed. We are made right not by living a moral life, not by going to church. We never do that enough, not by works of any kind. Not by religious deeds, but by faith alone in Christ alone. No other doctrine so glorifies Christ as the sole ground of our salvation. It's justification by faith. No other doctrine so establishes the security of the believer in Christ as justification by faith. I hope you realize that. Since it has nothing to do with works, deeds, actions on your part, but everything is by God and for God and to his glory, there's no way you can mess it up. Me, none of us, we can't mess it up. That's the good news. The foundation of Eternal security, if you want to use that word, but perseverance of the saints is the fact that we are justified not by anything we've done, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, in his work. So you can see this is why this matters so much to the reformers. This is why we had the Reformation. And as I said last week, uh, this is why we are Protestants, and we are still Protestants, and we still protest any doctrinal belief that teaches any way to God other than justification by grace through faith alone. So the so the Protestant Reformation is not over. It won't end until Jesus comes back. Because God will continue to reform his church and his church will be true and will continue to adhere to his doctrine, his gospel. And as we often do pray, when we get off base from that, that God corrects us and puts us back on that road to redemption, only one that matters. So may God continue to reform us. You may have heard that slogan before, reformed and always reforming. 
Because it's not something that just happens. It's something that continues. Because like Luther, you will continue to find out, all I do is fall short. I can't be perfect. I can't be right. I want to do these things on some days. Some days I don't. But when I do want to do them, I even fail. But Christ has never failed. So my hope, as we sing about, is in him and his righteousness. But then as the confession points out, that saving faith is never alone. God will change you and he will make you new and different. Praise God for that, right? Praise God that he don't save us and just we get to keep living in the same filth and stench that we were living in. You, you, want, you, want some, you want redemption to mean, man, God purchased me and made me his and look at what he's doing. Yeah, I get in the way of it, but I can't get in the way so bad that it stops him from doing what he's going to do. That's the beauty of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the gospel. I thank you for these men, so many men that went before us, that paved the way. So many who even gave their lives. They were burned at stakes. They were beheaded. They were tortured in all kinds of ways. Not because they were heretics. They were deemed heretics, but because they believed the gospel and they believed the word of God was that important. Thank you for men who were willing to give their lives, not just to preach the gospel, but to see that we had a Bible. So easy to take that for granted when you don't know the history. We're so guilty of ignoring our history, not realizing what it must have been like for those who had no choice but to listen to the Pope and the church and the priests because they didn't have a Bible they could read. But then in your sovereignty, you brought wisdom to men who could build something that could make the Bible available to so many and really to everybody almost now. What a great gift and glorious gift that is. So we thank you for all of that. We know that that's part of our heritage and we can stand today and do what we do and worship you in spirit and truth because so many went before us and made that possible. So God help us um, again to be continuously reformed according to your word. That's what we're really concerned about. Our hope is not in the Reformation that happened 500 years ago. Our hope is in the truth that the Reformation that happened five years ago protected and preached. Our hope is in the gospel that comes from the Bible. And the God who wrote all that, put it down for us. So we trust you for that. We praise you for it today. God, I pray you give us a greater love for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm -hmm. you.